Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Good morning, Christ Church. Today's sermon text is from the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verses 14 to 20. Nope, 12 to 20. Sorry about that. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, You did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, it is good to gather as your people this morning. God, as an eternal family united through the blood of Jesus and sent out to proclaim your glory to the ends of the earth. God, give us ears to hear your word this morning and shape our hearts through the inner working of your spirit that we might glorify you as your people to the praise of your glorious grace. Amen. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good? Yeah? We keep getting more teen boys. It's weird. They're right in the middle, and I've called attention to them, so I'll stop looking at you. Uh, I haven't preached in a few weeks. I'm excited to be up here. Just did our second foundations class honestly one of the most encouraging foundations classes I've been a part of. So the rest of you were not that, unfortunately. This was it today. But you could always take it again and try. Uh, So that's going awesome. Uh, Galatians, it's like we've been here for months in our text. I don't think it said law once. It's encouraging, right? I mean, up until this point, for over three chapters, Paul has he's constructed this compelling, biblical, and deeply intellectual argument for the truth of the gospel. Namely, that there is only one gospel, and this one gospel is all about faith. This gospel is received by grace through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And nothing can be added to the finished work of Jesus. It's not Jesus plus the law. 
It's not Jesus plus good works. It is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And up until this point, Paul's care for the Galatian believers has shined through his frustration, right? Through his astonishment. His passion for the gospel and for these believers has been made vividly clear as he has painstakingly walked through the error of these false teachers in whom they have trusted. Coming at these false teachers from every which direction. But in our text this morning, Paul seemingly hits pause on his intricate, his intricate theological argument against these false teachers, and he appeals to the heart. He appeals to their relationship. He talks about the love he has for them, the love that they shared, and the perplexity of the current situation they find themselves in now. It's a compelling text about the relationship between a pastor and his people, about the deep love and care Paul Paul joyfully had in the past and now painfully clings to as he sees these people he loves being led astray and then responding quite poorly to his admonition. And I know firsthand that when you spend years building relationships and discipling and baptizing people into the faith, when you lay a foundation of the gospel and see the fruit growing only to have them turn from that very truth, it is heartbreaking. I've asked the same question Paul has asked in this letter before, did I labor in vain? Was all of that time and effort A waste? The pain and the frustration Paul describes in this letter is only heightened because of the deep friendship and love that existed between Paul and the Galatians. And that's what he's getting at in our text this morning. And Paul begins his appeal to their heart with a simple but powerful sentence that really encapsulates everything he's trying to communicate here, as well as kind of the very ethos of Paul's ministry. He says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. And we're not gonna jump right in there. I wanna circle back to that opening phrase at the end and spend some time there. But first, I wanna walk through the, the meat of what Paul is saying here as it will describe and give context to that statement. So Paul goes on in verse 14 and 15 to describe when he first met the Galatians. He says, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, You did not scorn or despise me, but receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. So it sounds like Paul never really intended to go to Galatia, or at least not spend very much time there in the first place. Paul says, it was because of this bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you. And Acts doesn't really give us a lot of information here. It doesn't talk about this sickness as the reason that Paul ended up in Galatia, 
nor do we have specifics on what the sickness was, but this is likely that thorn in the flesh that Paul referenced in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Some speculate that, that Paul may have caught malaria while traveling through the mosquito-infested swamps of Pamphylia. Right, everybody knows where that is. It's swampy. This was around the same time when John Mark, you know, got all nervous and bailed on the missionary journey. So they're traveling through this lowland area. It would make sense that, that if he caught malaria, got sick in these lowlands, he would have then headed north from there up into the mountains, the, the plateau of Galatia. We, we can't know for sure. It doesn't tell us. We don't know much about the sickness other than the fact that it was really bad and that it affected Paul's eyes. Because he says, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. That's love. I will not gouge my eyes out for you. But I still love you. Paul also says, my condition was a trial to you. You didn't scorn or despise me. So, I mean, just think about it. Paul, a stranger, shows up in Galatia in really bad shape. Such bad shape that the temptation would have been to scorn or despise him. The sickness very likely disfigured his face along with affecting his eyes, but they didn't despise him. They didn't push him away, send him off. Paul says, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. They showed a deep, tender love for Paul as they cared for him. And they nursed him back to health. And he told them about the gospel. He discipled them in the truth. And this is what's so troubling for Paul. The deep love and care with which Paul was received. And with which the gospel Paul preached had been received was seemingly gone. The fruit of selfless, caring, compassion had been replaced with scorn and enmity. As Paul says in 15 and 16, what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given to me, them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? So, sometime after Paul left, in his absence, through the influence of these false teachers, Paul had gone from one for whom the Galatians would gouge their eyes out to an enemy in their eyes for telling them the truth. They went from all the blessedness that was shown when Paul arrived at their doors in pitiful shape to now Paul asking, what's become? What's become of this blessedness, this love, this care? Where, where is the love with which you once welcomed me? Right? Paul spoke up against these false teachers, the false teaching, defending the people he loved, and now they're treating him like an enemy. Paul was perplexed. These believers had been lured away by cunning words and flattery into a false doctrine into a rejection of the gospel. Paul goes on in verses 17 through 20 saying, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. 
It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. See, Paul says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. That is, they, they were using empty flattery. They were fawning over the Galatians in order to win them over to their perverted gospel. As Paul says, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. But their purpose was self-serving. Their flattery was not out of a genuine love for the Galatians, but rather, Paul says, they want to shut you out that you might make much of them. These false teachers wanted to exclude them from the freedom that is in Christ and thereby exclude them from Christ and, and the gospel altogether. And this was nothing new. It was classic religious-flavored power grasping. It was the same dysfunctional worldview of leadership and power that James and John, right, sons of thunder, they said, hey, mom, right, that's a bad start. Hey, mom, go talk to Jesus. See if we can sit at his right and left hand in glory. That's messed up. But you see, they still viewed leadership through the eyes of the world. They viewed leadership as upward mobility. But Jesus came to present a different kind of power, a different kind of leadership. It was one of downward mobility, of service and love and sacrifice. And Jesus would respond to James and John and, and the rest of the disciples that were all annoyed with James and John, maybe because they're dumb and maybe because they're like, no, we're gonna be at his right and left hand, obviously. Jesus says in Matthew 20, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. You see... The freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom that is ours, means that we are not subservient to our human teachers or leaders or pastors. We do not have a hierarchy of power inside the church to wield control over the congregation. Our job as pastors, as leaders, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to equip the body, to strive with all our might to help the body grow mature in Christ, mature in the freedom that we all share. But when Christianity is turned into bondage to rules and bondage to regulation, the people are inevitably in subjection. 
They are in bondage to those who wield the rules as power over the people. This was the Jewish elite in the first century. It was the Catholic church in the Middle Ages. And we see it time and again in our culture. In churches with power-hungry pastors and leaders who control their congregations with legalism, with fear, with guilt, with shame. It comes in many forms, but it is always a minimizing of the freedom we have in Jesus. And it is an emphasizing on the teacher or some special teaching that they have. As Paul says, they want to shut you out. They want to shut you out of the freedom that we have in Christ that you might make much of them. But Paul's attitude towards the Galatians was starkly different. In verse 19, he calls them my little children. And he likens himself to their mother. Paul had a deep and sincere care for the Galatians. It wasn't about his power, but their spiritual well-being and maturity. Paul says, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. See, Paul was not content with the fact that they had a genuine conversion experience. Paul knew that the Galatians were believers, that the Spirit dwelled in them. But Paul was not satisfied that Christ dwelled in them. He longed to see Christ formed in them. He was in the anguish of childbirth until they were formed into the image of Christ. And this is true Christian leadership, toiling to see Christ formed in the lives of the people, in the life of the community. It's not about the leaders becoming internet famous or the church being known but Christ being magnified more and more through the life of the community. It's like Ephesians 4.16 when Paul talks about all the different parts of the body joined and held together by Jesus. And he says, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The body builds itself up. This is the role of pastors and leaders to shepherd the flock towards maturity, towards Christ-likeness, to, in a sense, become less necessary because the body has grown so connected to Christ and to one another, feeding themselves and feeding one another, that the church builds itself up in love and truth. This is the opposite of the power-hungry false teachers. They have to be the center. They're the umbilical cord, the focus. Because without them, ministry can't happen. Without them, people can't survive. They want all eyes on themselves. But true gospel leaders point all eyes to Jesus, to his glory and his power. And they long to see Christ formed in the lives of their people. Which 
brings us back to verse 12, Paul's opening statement. He says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. As I said at the beginning, this statement summarizes Paul's life and ministry in many ways. This was the lens through which Paul viewed his call as an apostle of Jesus. As Paul described earlier in this letter, in his former life, he was an enemy, right? He was an enemy of the gospel. He was seeking out and imprisoning and killing believers. But when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, everything changed. Paul had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus, and his life would never be the same. What Paul once lived for, what he once valued, what once gave his life meaning, all the things that once made him influential and powerful and respected in the world, now he counted as rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. In the world in which he was once famous, Paul was now despised. In the world where he had everything he needed or wanted, he now lived on the road, suffering, struggling, being persecuted. And Paul gladly gave up all those things, all the worldly pleasure and approval and power because he had an encounter with Jesus. The Lord Jesus had been formed in him and it changed everything about his life. Everything about what he valued and pursued. And this is precisely why Paul says, become as I am. That is, take up this Christian life and faith, the freedom that we have in Christ. Throw aside the bondage of sin and the bondage of the law that these Judaizers are trying to place upon you and run the race of faith with endurance. Be as I am in faith and love and hope. Lay your life down for the gospel of Jesus because your life is now bound up in him. Paul spoke similar words to King Agrippa in Acts 26. King Agrippa's like kind of joking. He's like, in short time, you think you're going to make me a Christian, Paul? Paul's like, heck yeah, I am. <laughs> Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who heard me this day might become as I am. Minus the chains. Paul's like, yes, King I don't, I don't wish prison upon you, but I do wish that you would become like I am, that your hope and your peace and your joy would be found in Jesus, that your confidence wouldn't be in what you have or what you control or your pretty little crown, but in Christ and him crucified. Shouldn't we all be able to say something like that? Especially to unbelievers that we're so satisfied in Jesus with his freedom and joy and salvation that we want others to experience this, to become like us. And that's my hope for everyone in this room. Not that we'd say, become like me because everything's perfect, because I never struggle, 
Because following Jesus means everything is gonna go well for you. Because that ain't true. But my hope is that in the midst of the struggle and the frustration, the pain and the hurt and the mundane difficulty of daily life, that we would have a resounding hope and joy and peace in Jesus. That he would be our comfort in time of need, our hope in times of struggle. And that our identity would be so secure in him that we could say with confidence, become as I am. Be like me. But that was only the first half of what Paul said, right? He said, I entreat you to become as I am for I also have become as you are. So not only be like me, he's like, I became like you. And Paul meant it quite literally. Paul was a Jew, right? Not just a Jew. He was the super Jew. Everybody knew it. He knew everything about Judaism. He knew all the cleanliness laws. He knew all the regulations. He knew you don't mingle with dirty Gentiles. They were unclean. You don't touch them, you don't talk to them, you don't walk into their houses, and you definitely don't eat with these filthy people. But Paul wasn't that guy anymore. Paul had been transformed by the inner working of the Spirit. Paul immersed himself in Gentile life. In every city that he planted churches, he would immerse himself in the life of the people. He literally became like them. And this is the opposite of so many tragic missionary tactics in our history, right? Whether it's our treatment of Native Americans in this country or missionaries in Africa trying to package the gospel with Western culture, forcing English to be spoken, Western clothing to be worn, stripping people of their cultural identity while trying to promote the gospel of Jesus. It's pretty sick. It's just another form of Jesus plus. Jesus plus works. Jesus plus actions. Jesus plus clothing or cultural change. That's not even getting at the abuse and the atrocities that came with many of those situations. They were legalistic and they were authoritarian. Far more similar to the Judaizers in our text than the true gospel. And that's what Paul is getting at. He says, I became like you. I assimilated into your culture and life and lived among you. Which is exactly what he talked about in 1 Corinthians 9. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those outside the law, I became as one outside of the law that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that by all means, some might be saved. This is important for us in our daily lives, maybe. When we think about evangelism, hopefully you do think about evangelism. I know that word is scary, so we can talk about thinking about talking about Jesus. Is that better? It's a little less evangelism, like just automatic guilt response. I understand. If we want people to become like us in Christian conviction, which I pray we do, 
We must first become one with them in Christian compassion. Right? We're not inviting people into a set of intellectual ideas, but into an eternal family. And if as part of that family, the doors to your heart or your home are closed, what does it say about this family? Paul says, I became as you are. I lived among you. Learned both your culture and your hearts. I learned to love you and shared the truth of Jesus with you. And I think this was the beauty of Paul's ministry. Everything that wants to find him, his fame as a Jewish scholar, his pedigree, his intellect, his heritage, his position, in his own words, he counts as rubbish. They are worthless in comparison to, in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. He had been set free from finding his identity in those things and being known by the world. And this freedom allowed him to meet people where they were, to have genuine care for them because he had nothing that he had built left to defend. There was nothing. His identity was secure in Jesus and his only desire was to defend the truth of the gospel. Everything he had built, everything he had achieved, he had let go of it. He was rooted in who Jesus said he was and what Jesus called him to do. And that is true freedom. He had no fear in life. Paul loved the Galatians and had poured out his life for the Galatians. And he longed to see Christ formed in them. He longed to see the gospel they knew take root in their hearts. And that's why he's writing this letter. That's why he's so frustrated and perplexed. And so what do we do with this? Like, How do we wrap this up? I'm just going to leave you with two questions. Maybe they're challenges or simply ideas to pray over, give some thought to. First, you could probably guess it, can you say to someone, become as I am? Can you say that? Now, whether or not you would say those actual words is obviously not the point, but do you desire this for people? Has Christ been formed in such a way in your heart that you want people to experience the joy and confidence that you have? And if the answer is no, it's worth spending some time praying over that, having some conversations about that. And secondly, do you desire to become as others are? Or put more clearly, does your love for the gospel and Christian compassion compel you to engage deeply in the lives of others. So when we see hurt or pain or need, do you move towards in love or shield yourself from it? Are you willing to lay down your life or your time or maybe your pride to engage others with gospel care? We are the family of God. And the good news is that God 
is going to build his church. He is going to grow his family. That is a promise. The only question is, will we be a part? Are are we going to try and carve out some space of importance out of this world for ourselves? Or will we, like Paul, look at all the things that we've built and say, rubbish, rubbish, it's a great word, sounds British, junk, worthless, unnecessary, don't want it. Nothing compares to knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for loving us when we were enemies. For awakening our hearts and calling us to yourselves through Jesus Christ. Surely by your grace and your love and no merit of our own. God, we pray that you would continue to work powerfully in us. That Christ would be formed in us, in this community we might reflect Jesus in the way we live, in the way we love, in the way we lay our lives down for one another. Gladly seeing all things as loss, as waste in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamblin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org.